Hello and welcome to Talk Derby to me. I am Blake Fellows. Bit of a treat for Derby County fans today. Steve Nicholson, Chief Football Writer of the Derby Telegraph. He's worked at the uh, at the Telegraph for about 35 years now. So some brilliant stories from Steve. Nico's um, really helped me over the years with advice and opportunities. So it's great to, to catch up with him about his memories and, and how his role has changed over the last 35 years. As ever, thank you to everyone who supported the podcast, Connect Red, uh, SMJ Brady and Elite Football Development. All their details, as ever, on our social media. So go and check all them out. Thank you very much. Uh, let's crack on. Steve Nicholson, Chief Football Writer from the Derby Evening Telegraph. Steve Nicholson, thank you once again for, uh, for, for joining us and um, I apologise for, for hounding you, I wanted you to get you on for a bit and uh, with the international break we've had, we've had opportunity to, to yeah. catch up. So how are you in these, in these strange and difficult times? Yeah, it's been, it's been strange mate, I, I must admit, you know, it's, uh, the, the last season of course was very strange, you know, we had the, the lockdown and, and, and the job changed in a way, you know, because no longer could we go to the training ground and do press conferences. We had to do press conferences on Zoom, which is very different. Uh, fortunately, I've, I've been to every game since uh, since football returned, which is which you know really you know is, is fantastic, you know, and, and, and such a pleasure. But to be honest, the games are so different, mate. You know, it's not the same. You sit there, it's quiet. Football without fans is is not the game. It's just not the game. But unfortunately. We're in a situation at the moment where we have to get through it and uh, hopefully we'll get through it soon. Do you think it's changed forever, your role? Because if you can do it on Zoom and you can do it sat where you are now and interview the manager, do you think that might be the case forever? Some managers might not want me at the training ground. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it may well have done, mate. Yeah, you could could well be right. You know, even even now we're starting to see... at matches, we do Zoom press conferences, but but just lately, it's been more a bit more relaxed where you can go into a room, uh, you, there's a table, you put your uh, recorder on the table, and then you kind of move to, to seats, which are very well spaced out, and the manager comes in, etc. So it, it's kind of relaxing a little bit. But yeah, you might be right. You know, some managers in the past might not have wanted me at the training ground, so they might have been quite happy to see my ugly mug on, uh, on Zoom. <laughs> How long is it that you've been covering Derby County for now then? It's 25 years, something like that, is it? I started at the Telegraph 35 years ago this month. Uh, And I've been chief football writer uh, for 20 years. Uh, My predecessor, Joe Mortimer, late Joe Mortimer, who was a a colleague and and, and a friend, uh, he was... was, uh, Derby County correspondent for, for years, as fans will know. Uh, so my first game actually covering Derby was in November 1985. Uh, Gerald couldn't make the game. It was away at Bolton. Derby won 1-0. Gary Micklewhite scored. Uh, I think it was John Gregory's first league appearance for Derby. And uh, at the time I moved down here, I had, I had a, a flat in Derby, but my wife was still uh, in uh, Lancashire. So... At weekends, I travelled back to Lancashire. And so that weekend, Bolton away was quite handy for me. So, But I remember Gerald saying to me, Arthur Cox will phone you uh, on Sunday morning after the game so you can get some quotes from Monday's paper. 
I was panicking. It's the first time, you know, I dealt with, with, with Arthur Cox. And uh, so I was sat by the phone from about half five in the morning, making sure I didn't miss the call, you know, and, and actually I missed the call and I really, really panicked. But Arthur phoned back about half an hour later and, uh, and I've got some quotes from Monday's paper and, and it all went well in the end. And, and it was the start of a relationship with Arthur Cox, which, to, to be honest, I mean, he was a fantastic manager for Derby. The, I mean, the, the, the success in the, in the mid to late 80s, fans will remember it as a, as a fantastic time at the baseball ground. Some great nights, some great moments. And uh, Arthur taught me an awful lot. Arthur and Roy McFarland, an awful lot about this job, about dealing with managers, which was so different in those days. There was no social media. So they taught me an awful lot about the job. Arthur Cox was obviously before my time, but there's mm. some, some amazing Arthur Cox stories. And even recently with um, when I was working with, with Craig Ramage recently, and, and Arthur Cox would still ring him up now because he was yeah. one, still sees him as one of his players. And yeah. he was just... just yeah, it's just a different era, isn't it? He's like the last. Oh yeah, I mean, Rama was uh, Rama was such a talent, by the way. Mm. You know, don't, don't tell him I told you that. Uh, <laughs> if you ever say Craig Ramage, if you ever say Craig Ramage to any, I was, I was talking to a Notts County fan at McClever Sports on on Saturday. Yeah. As soon as you mention his name, you have the crack or whatever. But then they always go, "But what a player!" Oh, and listen, very talented. I, I first I first met Craig when he was, I think, he was an apprentice. Mm. I used to cover the reserves. And so we used to we used to meet at the Midland Hotel uh, by the station to get the coach to away games, and Rama was one of the used to take a couple of apprentices with them at, at the time, and basically to make the tea and coffee on on the on the bus and and, and hand out the sandwiches and the Kit Kats. The, the pre-match meal those days was a Kit Kat, uh, and the after-match meal was fish and chips from the nearest chip shop. It was great days, uh, but Rama was uh, yeah he was he was cheeky. Uh, you had to make him make a coffee, by the way, for you. Uh, but uh, he was a real talent. He really was. You know, he was a, he was a special talent. And uh, later, of course, I got, got to know him really well with his work uh, on the radio and that type of thing. So, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a good friend, but he was a good footballer. Yeah. Don't, don't, uh, say, don't tell him I told him that. I'll say, he won't hear this anyway. He doesn't have to use his phone. He can't get on Spotify. We obviously mentioned Cox, off Cox and his influence mm. on players like Rammer and, and you mentioned Gerald Mortimer. I mean, he's yeah. synonymous with Derby County, similar to, for me, in radio, uh, with Graham Richards and, and names yeah. like that. How much of, a, of an influence was he? On, oh, on huge. I mean, obviously, I didn't know Gerald. I came down for an interview and... Uh, I met him at the Telegraph building and he said, uh, right, he said, we'll, we'll just nip across the road to the Smithfield, which is the pub opposite the, the Telegraph building in Meadow, Meadow Road. And uh, we did the interview there, but or part one of the interview there over uh, a couple of beers and a burger, I think it was. And basically he went through the questions that the editor might ask me in the interview and the answers I should give. And uh, I had the second part of the interview uh, in, in, in the, in the, Derby Telegraph building and uh, they offered me the job why I was there and uh, they actually said don't think about it because if you, if you go away and think about it you might turn it down so we want an answer now so I actually took the job before I told my wife uh, no mobile phones then of course so I had to stop at Sandbach services on the way back up the M6 and phone my wife said look we're moving to Derby so that was it. Your job's changed like you say because of what's going on at the minute and, and but 
in the time you spent at the, the Derby Telegraph, it must have changed. Oh. Ridiculous. Because <laughs> even in my time watching Derby County, I can remember walking back into town and people queuing up to get the green and Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Was yeah. it phoning in match reports and, and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. Listen, it's uh, I mean, a lot of fans probably don't quite realise how the Greenham was put together so quickly and was out on the street at, what, half five after the game finished at ten to five, quarter to five. Uh, it was a real operation. You know, basically what you did was if you were at the game, I would phone a copy taker who was sat in the office, would phone me at the ground at ten to three and I'd uh, talk over the teams and then you keep the phone open all the way through the game. And basically you just talk what you were seeing. So basically, it's like Derby kicked off attacking the Normanton end or whatever it was, or, or South Stand at Pride Park, uh, and and you know, oh, and so and so just missed, or that was close, or what. And you just talked, and and in the office they typed it up, sent it across, and they just pieced it together like a jigsaw hmm. as it went through the game. So the page filled up gradually through the game like that, and at the end you get all the results in all the tables, and off it would go. And as you say, as fans were returning from the ground. They were golden days, you know, ne never forget those days. And, and you know, f football fans today have different ways of doing it. You know, they've got their mobile phone. They can see everything immediately, which is great for them. But sometimes I wish they could have felt that excitement, you know, when Derby had won and fans were queuing outside news agents or at the train station wanting to see the other results because you didn't know the other results, you know. And I just felt that was a, that was a real golden time for fans and a, a real exciting time. I can remember still going to away games, similar, getting in the car in Five Live and having the classifieds, and you wouldn't know, and it'd be like uh, Manchester United, what? And you wouldn't know, and it, it's just, and this is only, what, 10, 15 years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's to say it's to totally changed. Uh, but as I say, football moves on, doesn't it? That, that That's how it is. But as I say, you should always remember the, the, the kind of golden days when you were kind of very impressionable. Because when you're a youngster, Anyway, I, I remember I remember queuing up for the, the Football Echo, because uh, I was born just outside Liverpool, for the Football Echo on Saturday night. So it was my job to, my dad used to send me down to the shop and I'd queue up with the other blokes uh, to get the Football Echo. And, and he used to, as soon as you get it, he'd open it, see what the results are. And also at the time, there was a little box at the bottom of the page which told you which two matches were on match of the day. And if your match was on, it was like, oh, fantastic. Because in those days, we just used to have two matches on match of the day, two highlights. And you always used to wait and see, oh, we're, we're actually on telly as well. And it was fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. See, my dad, another era, my dad tells me about the days when there was one match on match of the day. And the, the, if the TV trucks were there and, and all that, it'd be right. We're on match of the day tonight. We're the match of the day. Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, it is mad. It is mad. So now, obviously, social media and how people pick up and, and consume their articles and, and the journalism... Do you feel like it's ruined it slightly? It's just different, Blake. That's all it is. Yeah. It's different. And you have to go with it. There's things in the game I don't like particularly, you know, but but if I sat here and just moaned about them, then fans would just say, oh, you're too old, move on and let someone else do it. In that time, they do that anyway to me. So it's all part of the job. But it's it's just different. And you just, and, and the key is to change with it. Yeah. Not lose your principles, not lose your memories, not lose how you think it should be done, but embrace it as well at the same time. It's the same, it'll be the same in any job you do, you know, things change and move on. So is it any worse? I think what it's done is it's given a lot of people a voice, uh, whereas before 
when I went to the match in my early years and that, you went to the match with your mates, you went back to the pub, you had a couple of jars, someone said that was offside, you argued and said it was onside, someone said he was man of the match and you say you don't know what you're talking about and that'll be it. But now, of course, you can voice it to everybody so you can have an opinion, everybody can have an opinion, which, which is fine, no problem at all. The only thing I'll say about social media, which is not particularly good and should actually stop, is, is the abuse side of it. Because there's no need to be abusive. Football has always been a talking game. It's always been about opinions. There is no right or wrong. Me and you could go to the same game and pick and player ratings, which I get more stick about than anything else I do. But we could pick player ratings, which would be different. It doesn't mean we're right or wrong. It just means this, it's the opinion we have. And everyone's allowed an opinion. That's fantastic. But let's cut out the abuse as well. I was, that was one of the things I wanted to, to speak to you about because mm. I've seen, and you reply to some, and you do get abuse. Some what abusive replies to some things, and and does that hurt you for someone who's followed the club thirty five years and, and whatnot? You get uh, this. Yeah, I think I say I'm, I've got no problem with opinions, and I welcome it. And I do, I don't, and I might be told differently, but I don't think there's a journalist out there anywhere covering any club who who uh, interacts with supporters more than I do. I've always done it. And, and that was part of the job of going on social media. I wanted to do that because I felt it was important. And 95, 98, 99% of it is fantastic. And we have some really good discussions. Uh, what, what I don't like and which I will hit back at is if someone tells me I don't know what I'm doing because if I've done it, I've been a journalist for 43 years. I've worked at the Telegraph for 35. If you don't know what you're doing after that length of time, you're in the wrong profession. And actually you would have been found out years ago. So that, that hurts a little bit. Uh, if, if someone tells me something that is blatantly wrong as well, then you have to reply to that. You have to say, I'm sorry, that's just wrong. So, but there's no, no harm in having an opinion. I think it hurts what they have to be careful of. It actually hurts people closer to you than yourself. You know, I have, I have, I have, I have children who are grown up now, but they're on social media. And if they say, see someone on the having a go at their dad, which is just wrong, then it's going to hurt, isn't it? But that'll be the same for everybody on social media. So we must remember, it's not only the person you, you, you're having a go at, think about the people around them as well. Do you think it's something that can change? Because I've, I've seen people say about when you set up a, a social media account, you should have to put some form of ID or identify who you are, because especially some of the horrible racist tweets mm -hmm. you see. Yeah. Do you think it's something that could be changed or controlled? I don't know how you control it. It's such, it's such a wide uh, vehicle, isn't it, for, for opinion? I, I don't know. I don't know how you how you do control it. There must be a way of doing it. Maybe the people control it. Maybe it's us that control it, and we say no, we're not going to stand for that anymore. I'm sorry. We will talk to the people we we talk to about football, and that's great. And their opinions are fantastic. And I have some fantastic Q&As with, with fans. You know, if, when I ask for questions on a Q&A, you know, before I know it, I, uh, on Sunday nights, Sunday afternoons, I used to go on and say, right, I'm doing a Q&A on Monday about the Rams. Uh, your questions are welcome on anything. Within two hours, I can have 150, 200 questions. That, that's fantastic. And that's how it should be. And we should be able to talk about football or anything in life. We should be able to discuss properly. It's very difficult to control everybody, mate. That's the thing. You can't control everybody. But what we should do, we should actually say, no, I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. As we would in life normally, we should.
we should be able to say, sorry, that's not acceptable. We're not getting involved in that. If you want to come back and talk about football properly, very welcome. No problem at all. Look, I'll tell you what I do find is some people have a go at me and I kind of go back with, with a, a reasoned discussion. And before you know it, you're almost best mates. Yeah. You know, because they, they become reasoned. You, you know, you are reasoned. Suddenly you're having a bit of banter and you're having a proper talk about football. And maybe that's the way to do it as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Killing with kindness. Um, yeah. So, well, for, that got very, very serious very quickly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not normally. That I know, like, yeah. I was going to say it's quite serious for you, that is. <laughs> right, back to Derby County. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know how many Derby games you've watched? Uh, yeah. How many? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've actually, I've not counted how many in total. Because remember, when I first came, I was, I was number two to Gerald's on Derby. Well, actually, when I first came, I was doing Derby reserves and Gerald was doing the first team. But what I used to do in midweek games, this was in the old third division, in midweek games, I would go with him and do the quotes from players. So I watched those games as well. So I've not counted all those games either. Uh, I then had a, a season and a bit covering Chesterfield as well, which was great. John Duncan was the manager up at Saltergate, one of the coldest grounds in the country that was. Uh, but fantastic. You know, we had, we had a great time. So I did different things early on. So I've not counted those derby games or those reserve games. But, but since I've become chief football writer, I've actually covered, I've not missed a game since 2001, uh, a competitive match in any competition. Uh, so that's, so I'm on, I wrote it down somewhere. I'm actually on 968 consecutive games, uh, which is an awful lot. That doesn't count pre-season friendlies, which is, as you know, what do we play? Usually five or six, four or five pre-season friendlies. So if you add them as well, there's hundreds of them as well. Uh, so yeah, so if I can hit the 1,000 consecutive first team games, just first team, uh, maybe that's time to call it a day, who knows? <laughs> that's got to be unrivaled, aren't it? 1,000 consecutive first team games as a journalist? Uh, I there's uh, my colleague over at Stoke, Martin Spinks. He did a thousand very recently for the Stoke Sentinel, which was great. I don't think people quite understand the the time and effort that goes into that. You will know traveling around the country watching Derby, the time that that takes, and you know the hours you spend doing it and traveling back at the early hours of the morning from all sorts of away grounds. Uh, an awful lot of uh, people can. People can decide whether how much dedication I put into it, but I know how much dedication I put into 968 consecutive matches. Uh, I've missed an awful lot of personal things doing that, which I'm not advising people to do, but I have missed things. I've missed well, my brother's wedding, I missed uh, other things. Uh, but, but I say I don't advise people to do that, but it's just the way I work, right? That's the way I work. Uh, and as I say, with with matches going back to 1985, I don't, I don't know how many it is in total, but all I know is this consecutive run since I took over from Gerald Mortar officially as number one goes back to 2001. So, and that's incredible. And and as you know, I used to before my my current job follow Derby County everywhere, and that included going on pre-season tours with Mick yeah. Mark and the, and the yeah. 
well, you'd always still be there going, we'd go anywhere and you'd, you'd still be there doing that. So that's... Yeah. I mean, they, they were, I mean, pre-season tours for, for journalists are great because people think, oh, what a jolly, you know, it's great. And you go away to Marbella or you go away to Norway or Iceland or wherever you've been, Germany, Portugal, all over the place. <laughs> uh, and they think, isn't it great? But what's important for the journalists is, you, you, or for me it was, because I was the only journalist, I think, from in virtually all of those places covering Derby, uh, it was to get to know the manager. And normally it was a new manager because we'd normally changed the manager the previous season. So normally it was a new manager. And that time that I had where he saw me somewhere else in the world with them, putting in the legwork, really was a big help. And also for the players as well. They, you know, When they see you there, they suddenly think, this guy must be quite serious about what he does. In your role, you must have to like, work quite closely with the managers and and mm. build a relationship with them. Have, have you always had quite a good relationship with, with the managers? I, I think I've been fortunate, and, and I don't like work, using the word fortunate, because I think fortune, I think you work for good fortune a lot of the time, and, and I've worked hard at building relationships with managers. One of the keys to this job is to have a good relationship with the manager. Now, some fans will say, oh, that's being a yes man. Totally wrong. Totally wrong that. What it is, is building respect with the manager. So actually, when you criticise his team selection or the performance of the team, because you've built respect and trust with him, he can accept that criticism. He doesn't take it personally because he knows who you are, you know, in that relationship. And, and that's that's the skill. You know, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I'll admit it, I think that's a skill. I mean, I didn't know Frank Lampard at all. He didn't know me. Uh, uh, when he arrived, they had a big press conference at Pride Park Stadium. The club, uh, which was great for me, again, through contacts at the club, got me 15 minutes with him before the press conference. So there was myself, Frank, and, and one of his people with him, in a room at Pride Park while all the other journalists were waiting in the bigger room and I had 15 minutes interview with him. Frank had never met me in my life before. So it's important in that moment to make the right impression, to show who you are, to show him that he can trust you, to show him you've got respect. And it's not only happened with Frank Lampard, you know, and it happened with everybody. Paul Clement, we were in Holland at the time. I'd never met Paul. Uh, and we sat down for, for a long interview and again, because I'd watched Paul's dad play, I'm that old, unfortunately. I watched Paul's dad play for Queen's Park Rangers. He was a good fullback as well, his dad. Uh, we took, with that kind of breaks the ice. So when you've got that knowledge and, that, and, and you can build that respect, it's very, very important because there will be times when you fall out with a the manager. There'll be times when you criticise him for whatever reason. But if he knows who you are and he understands who you are and he's got respect for you because he's seen what you do, that helps with that moment. Have you ever had a manager read one of something you've done or one of the opinions on a game and, and challenge on it? Yeah, many times. Really? Many, many times. Yeah, many times. And they all, they all do it in different ways. Mm. Some managers will call you out at that moment in front mm. of everybody else. Other managers will leave it and phone you. You know, so, so Billy sometimes, Billy Davis sometimes would phone me on a Monday and go through my match ratings, you know, and, and, and basically say, well, eight out of 10? Why have you given him eight out of 10? I thought you knew something about football. 
that's the way Billy worked. And, 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 and we'd end up laughing about it and that. So that, that was really good. Other managers would uh, just suddenly drop something in a, in a press conference or a conversation where you thought, oh, that's aimed at me, that, you know, just subtly to do it, but to make you know that they're aware of what you said. So all the different managers I've worked with, and that's many of them, I'd say it's about 16 different permanent managers, not counting caretaker ones, do have done it in different ways. And, and that's the, and that again, that's the beauty of working with so many different managers. You've got to try and understand the character you're working with. What's what struck me in the, the three years, four years nearly that I've been involved with this side of the game is how much that they take notice of the press and what is either said in the radio or said in the in the newspaper. And, and me going into it, I've done stuff and it's come back and they've said, well, why have you done this? And I never in a million years going into it would think that it'd be that important to it. But it is, it's a, it's a massive side of it, isn't it? Oh, massive. Listen, if, if they don't read it, someone else will read it on their behalf mm. and it will get back to them. You know, yeah. there's no escape. You know, some fans say to me, get in there and ask the proper questions. Get in there and say, Philip Cocker, why can't you win a game? You know, and I'd, and I'd say to him, if that was the first question I asked in an interview, first of all, Philip Cocker would not answer it. Then he'd probably get up and walk out. All the other journalists would then turn to me and say, oh, thanks for that. You know, we've got nothing and you've ruined it with the first question, you know. So it, it, there are there are ways you've got to do it, you know. And, and in press conferences, are, there, are, there are ways of working press conferences. There are questions you want to ask, key questions, but you can't jump in two-footed straight away. So what you tend to do is get them talking about the match and, and what's just happened and all that. And then eventually you get to, well, you know, why did you pick that formation? Why, why did you do that? Why is it, you know, the more tricky things or, and they, and by then they're already opening up anyway. So, you know, I know fans get frustrated and say, you should say this, you should say that, you should. Believe me, other journalists wouldn't thank me if, if suddenly, I mean, it's, you've seen it with some high profile managers where press conferences have ended and they've, and they've, and they've walked out. Imagine the other journalists saying, well, my editor wants me to produce a thousand words and you've asked a question where the manager's got the ump and walked out. So thanks for that. You know, what am I going to tell my editor? So there are different ways of doing it. Yeah, it's, it's like you say, building the relationship. And mm. like you say, if you, if, if you get criticism off that manager, it's a big part on your behalf as well, not to take that personally. And you've got to deal with that in the right way because that could, you yourself could. Yeah. And also, you've got to remember that, don't forget, managers are in the heat of the moment as well. You know, let, let's not forget the pressure they're under. You know, and, and if you think about the managers I've worked with, some of them, some of them have been under fancy, you know, real pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in, in bad moments where results are going against you and the crowds are on your back and you get your team's getting booed off and then you've got to speak to the media. So that, that's pressure. So they're going to be uptight. They're going to be a bit on the defensive and they're going to bristle at certain things that, that you might say. But what I've found is, Usually that, that disappears fairly quickly. You know, some, I, you know, I had a, uh, a spat with one manager uh, after a press conference on the steps of leading down the, the, the stand at the stadium. And uh, I thought it bothered me all the way home. I was driving home from this away game all the way and it was on my mind. What, what if that, what if you don't speak to me again? What if this, what if that? So next morning I thought I'll phone him. So I phoned him straight away next morning. And it was like we were long lost buddies because he'd forgotten, you know, the heat of the moment had gone and it was back to that 
oh, it's Steve from the Telegraph, yeah. Okay, let's just talk about it. And, and that's actually said, what was all that about yesterday? And kind of said to me, oh, no, that was yesterday. You know, football, football, it, it moves on quickly. You can't stew. The, the, I think the, the worst thing managers can do, and journalists, by the way, is to let a, a fallout go on and on. The, 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 the key is face it, deal with it, get it out of the way. Because you have to move on. There's no use it being a sulking job for, for weeks on end. Just get it dealt with properly and then move on. And that, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant advice. One, one question that I've always wondered, because you've been doing it that long, is it easier to cover, is it, <laughs> is it easier to cover a club doing well or doing badly, but from a journalist point of view? So to, to get your, your material out there and to write the best articles... What's what's the best for you? Actually, mixed a mixed season, mate. You know, yeah. and we've had men- and this is what we tend to have with Derby, isn't it? Yeah. We have we have a season that goes like that, up yeah. and down. You know, and uh, and in many ways, for me, that's quite good because you're talking about really good things, but then you're talking about issues that need sorting. You're talking about form that needs improving. You're talking about team selection that needs tweaking. You, it's all different. You know, if you're winning every week week in, week out, which is great because it means you're successful. That's fine. But now and again, you need something to get your teeth into as well. And I think that's what fans like as well, isn't it? So if Derby were winning every week and we got to a transfer window, fans would be like, well, we're fine. The team's fantastic. You know, we win every game. We don't concede a goal. We score 20 a match. We're top of the league by 1,001 points and we're going to win the European Cup next week. So you get in the transfer window, it'd be like, no, we don't want anything. Whereas mm. I think fans enjoy transfer windows because it's all about, oh, we need a striker. We need a left back. We need a, another midfielder, et cetera, et cetera. So I always think a, a kind of up and down season. And to, to be honest, virtually every season I've covered Derby, it's been up and down for different reasons. Uh, but, it's, but it's also nice when you do get success because what you do is it's not success for yourself because you're, as a professional journalist, you should be able to cover a club, whether it's going through a bad time or not. But it's success for the people you know at the club. And it's not just players I'm talking about, it's other people behind the scenes, which is great for them. And it's great to see them smiling and winning. Uh, unfortunately, during the last 20 years, you know, we haven't been uh, in the Premier League enough. And uh, it's been a long time since we were last there. And uh, it will be lovely to have that success and be there against just for the people around the club, in the club and, and the people of the fans I see every week, week in, week out, holding the way, they'll know who they are. I see them all the time. It'd be fantastic for them. Uh, but I say as a journalist, you just tackle what, what comes up next. Hard to, probably a hard question to answer as a, as a journalist currently covering the club, but do you feel an affinity with, with Derby, with Derby County now having, Having covered them for so long, I think I think some. I think uh, this is an interesting one. This and it's a, it's a good question. Uh, some fans believe I should be a Derby County fan, okay, as in a Derby County fan. I wasn't born in Derby. Obviously, I was born just outside Liverpool in a place called Ormskirt. So I grew up as an Everton fan. That's what I am, you know, and and that's what your club is. You know, that's what it's about. I watched Everton from the age of eight. Nineteen sixty-eight was my first game. You know, I've been through the ups and downs with them. What I am is a professional journalist working in Derby. That's what I am. Now, I'll say some fact, I, I believe it's easier for me because 
as a professional journalist, when Derby win, I can say it as it is, when going through bad times, it doesn't affect what I've seen. So emotions, so you're actually not writing from your heart, you're writing from your head still. And I think fans need that in those difficult moments. So when they're really feeling it, when they're really down, I think hopefully they look to me and say, well, why did they lose? Why aren't we playing well? You know, why are we picking that team? Why are we not picking him? I think they look for that to see a kind of, hopefully a considered piece about why not. And I think to be able to step, step back slightly helps you write that type of piece or talk about that type of piece. That's the important thing. If you, if you look around the country, I'd be interested to add up how many journalists doing my job. So I'm a journalist following a football club. I'm actually fans, as in grown-up fans of that club. I bet there's not that many. I bet there's not that many. Uh, have I an affinity towards it? Of course I have. You know, I've, I've lived in Derby for 35 years. You know, uh, my, my son was six weeks old when he moved here. Uh, he, he actually was at Derby... Uh, from the age of eight as a player through their academy right the way through to 16, 17. Uh, so uh, my, my daughter was born here. Uh, they all went to school here. So of course I have an affinity with Derby, absolutely. And, and I want them to be successful because let's be honest, I want to be sat at Premier League grounds as well, you know, uh, covering those matches. So yeah, of, co- of course I do. But it doesn't affect me in, in that I can't do the job professionally because I'm not actually what you call a Derby fan, as in the fact I wasn't born here. But make no mistake, when, when you've been here 35 years and been around the club as long as I have, as long as I have, you know a lot about it, you know, and you've dealt with a lot of players and a lot of managers. And also, don't forget, when I was growing up as an Everton fan, I watched Roy McFarland, I watched Kevin Hector, I watched Alan Hinton, I knew how good Brian Clough was, I knew how good his teams were, I watched them at Goodison Park, I came to but the baseball ground is an Everton fan many times. You know, I saw Bob Latcher score with a looping header at the, I think it was the Osmondson end, was it? No one said, I can't quite remember. I was there when the, when the floodlights went out in a game. Uh, it was nil-nil at the time. Floodlights came back on and Mick Lyons scored ahead and Derby won. I was there when Paul Goddard scored a fantastic chip against Neville Southall. So I've been through all those as well. You know, I was there for Martin Taylor's testimonial, which was against Everton, if I remember. So... I've done all that, so I'm, I'm very well ingrained in, in Derby County. And actually, if you, if you look around, you know, the, 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 the kind of things here, the front back pages that, that, that I've done over the years and that type of thing, you've got all sorts of stuff around here, Derby and bookshelves full of Derby County books. Uh, not mine yet, by the way, uh, but uh, they're all there as well. So, of course, I have an affinity towards them. Well, it- as you know, obviously, I started studying football journalism four years ago and it quickly became evident to me that it, my dream was, obviously working at Radio Derby, to I'm going to either present sports scene or I'm going to cover Derby County, I'm going to write about Derby County. And it quickly became evident that I could never commentate on Derby County for the BBC being a Derby fan and I could probably never do your job being a Derby fan because following them, I didn't miss a game for 12 years and following them in a way for 20-odd years. I'm so emotionally involved in it that... If Derby four 0 down and I'm commentating, I'm going to be. Well, you're going to be you're yeah. going to be in bits, aren't you? You won't yeah. be able to get your words out. You know, you're going to be in bits. <laughs> you know, uh, it, 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 it's it's a delicate balance. It really is a delicate balance, and and I'm still of the belief that 
fans have all the emotion of watching the team. They have all the emotion of their friends who are fans as well of that team and their family. So they go through all those emotions, but I still think they need something different to look at and say, well, oh yeah, that makes me feel a bit better. Because actually, I think he's right. I, I think I think they're right. I think the system does need to change. And if, if they did that and that, then maybe results would change. And suddenly they're feeling better again. You know, and I think I think that's the important thing. And on the radio, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm close with a lot all the radio lads over the years, and I've seen them in action. You know, and uh, it it can be difficult. I mean, the, the only time, the only time I've in a press box because in press box it's a working environment. You know, don't forget that ninety percent of the, the the journalists in there are, are national, come from national papers and that, so they're not they haven't got that affinity with the club. But the only time in, in a press box where actually I've stood up when something's happened was at Wembley when uh, in 2014, when Bobby Zamora scored. I don't know why I did it. I don't know to this day why I did it. I was writing away. I think we were all expecting it to go to extra time. Derby were on top. QPR with had 10 men. We all could see, and I think Harry, Harry Redknapp said this years later, he felt the game was going away from him. You know, and he felt in extra time, Derby would probably win. And then I'm writing away and you look up, there's a mistake and suddenly Bobby Moore scores. Uh, Bobby Zamora, sorry, scores. I remember it vividly, and you will as well, the two halves of the stadium. One half is still. The other half, you have that, you have that time where it stands still, that fraction of a second where life seems to stand still. Ball hits the net, nothing, and then suddenly... That half of the stadium's up, that half of the stadium's down. And for some reason, I found myself just stand up and do that, put my hands on the head in the press box. Wow. And I don't know why I did it to this day. I'd never done it before. And I sat through lots of different games, Forest away, Forest at home, all these big games, playoff semifinals, etc. I don't know why I did it, just stood up and did that. And then quickly sat down again in case other people, the journalists around me saw. But that's what it can make you do. And I would imagine if you were what you call a, a fan who's grown up with a club, a lifelong fan, that's how much it would hurt at that moment. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, you have to have a delicate balance. I think. Yeah, we've had uh, Johnny Russell, Jamie Ward, I think Wilkie, yeah. well, they all played in that game. And all three of them, Johnny Russell still in America now has people going up to him saying, what would have happened if you'd have evaded Gary O'Neill's tackle? And they're all still in disbelief six years on at that moment. So that's just one of them that I could being applauded out the ground by QPR fans because they felt sorry for us. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. And also, if, if you remember, we afterwards you you driving back through London and all you could see was QPR fans celebrating outside pubs and all that, wasn't there? Quite rightly so. Magnificent moment for them. Uh, but yeah, I've spoken to all the players, obviously, who are involved and I still speak to a lot of the players today who were involved in that game and uh, it, it it was a it was a very difficult moment and but that's the only moment ever that I think where I suddenly got up and found myself doing something a bit bit unprofessional in a press box really where I put, stood up and I think it was just it was just it was just a shock of the moment wasn't it it, 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 it no one sensed it it wasn't you couldn't see it coming at all and and also I think it, it's a bit it's a bit unreal Wembley at the moment playoff finals because unlike FA Cup finals and different finals because it's half and half isn't it it really is half and half of fans mm. we saw it against Villa didn't we the same yeah. thing 
and suddenly you have this huge joy of one half of the stadium and this huge deflation of, of another half. And I think that brings it home as well. It's and you're I'm sat in the halfway line, and I can see both. And it's uh, yeah, it was, that was a strange moment. Have you got a favourite moment, or, or a moment that's gave you the best moment as as a journalist, or a favourite Derby County memory? Honestly, it's quite a few, mate. Obviously, uh, the playoff finals in a way are because because you're there. I mean, I I always think the semi final. Oh, semi-finals actually the, the Southampton semi-finals were, were good moments down at uh, St Mary's Stevie Howard scored twice you know I think Southampton battered us in almost into submission for half an hour I think they hit the woodwork about eight times or something like that and suddenly we come away with a 2-1 win and if you remember we weren't favourites in, in for that Southampton I thought were the better team West Brom I thought were a stronger team as well uh, so that one and then of course the second leg we had this almost biblical downpour uh, of rain, uh, went to penalties, and he missed a penalty, didn't he, the Arquez, which I felt I felt for him in the moment because he's such a great great guy. Uh, that was very, very memorable. The Brighton one particularly, uh, because Derby, you know, were too good for Brighton in the second leg and won 4 one. But for me, I always go back to the Forest ones, and and uh, you know, if I asked you what your favourite Forest me- memory was, what would you say? Five nil. It, it, five, yeah, it's fifty-fifty. I can't choose between the five nil or my first visit to the City Ground, which was the ten. No, no, the um, the two nil down in the FA Cup, winning three two with Commons with the winner. Uh, well, yeah, well, see, see, that would be my favourite moment. The, yeah. the, the, the FA Cup one. And yeah, the reason why it was my favourite moment was we we. The, 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 the first game was at Pride Park. I think it was 1-1 on the other I can't remember. It was a draw. Yeah, it was a draw. And we went there and uh, we were 2-0 down in about 14 minutes, I think. I think they scored after about a minute or two. Yeah. And you sat there thinking, oh, this, this is going to get really messy. And then they win 3-2 and Como, Chris Como scored, uh, Chris Common scored the, the winning goal. I think that one, I think that match more than any was probably my favourite moment. Uh it, it was a really good performance, and, and we went a few weeks later and won three one as well. Yeah, uh, you know, so that one, the ten men one was 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 a, I thought was a real performance. So again, we sat there after two minutes, sending off. Uh, I think Andy Reid scored the penalty one nil down, and you fear the worst, don't you? We've all been there. You think, oh, this could get messy, and then Wardy scored somehow, squeezed it in. I think he mishit it from from close to the so close to the uh, byline. And then Jeff Jeff Hendrick missed an absolute sitter, uh, which I rib him to to this day. But then, of course, he scored the winning goal. I thought that was a real memorable moment as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I, if I was to ask one, I think probably the FA Cup one was was the one for me. It's funny that actually because all the games I've watched and all the games you've watched, it probably it's between that and the five 0 for me. It was just something about that night. It just it was just one of them special. It was. It was special. I think the 5 0 one was strange because I just thought Derby were, were just far too good for, for Nottingham Forest. It, you know, uh, Derby's midfielders had too much energy for their midfielders. They ran the legs off them. Uh, some of the Forest's players, you know, in midfield looked like they were running through treacle when you're up against Bryce, Bryson and Hendrick and these guys. Who, and, and Derby, they'd been in very poor form up to that moment. I think they'd gone four games without scoring a goal. And suddenly it all came together, didn't it? George Thorne was pulling strings. Everything worked. And from that moment on, 
they, they took off and, and obviously went to the playoff final. Uh, but because it was so one-sided, I think the 3-2-1 was more dramatic for me. You know, Craig Bryson won't wish me, thank me for that. He'll want to remember his hat-trick and all this type. First one since Steve Bloom, all this type of thing. He'll love that, Craig. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think just I just thought the dramatic 3-2-1, under floodlights, at night, away from home, 2-0 down, 3-2 up. And I think it was Manchester United in the next round as yeah. well, waiting. Actually, there. That's the one. Bring it says there. Uh, yeah, I can just yeah, I can. It says bring on United. There's Como, Chris Commons, and Paul Green celebrating. That's my back page from that from that next morning. So that that's on there. So uh, yeah, for me that would be the one. I think. And that that was the first time we'd won there since 1970 something. I think off memory as well. So that made it. We'd not won there for 30. No, 1972. I think it might have been. Uh, and, and Nigel Clough at the time, by the way, had a really good record against Forest. Mm. You know, because I say we went there again and won three-one. So yeah, I, I just thought that everything about it. What happens at night matches is it crackles, doesn't it? Mm. The atmosphere crackles for you. You know, there's something about it. You know, and uh, I always think those nights are special, and that's why the older generation of fans, you know, imagine the memories they have of Real Madrid, Benfica. You know, these nights at the old baseball ground, it must have been incredible. I mean, I, I, as an Evertonian, you know, I sat through some big nights. I watched Everton play Munch and Gladbach in 1970, Panathinaikos, uh, AC Milan, these times Bayern Munich later on. Uh, they are really special, and, 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 and those fans will have those treasured memories. I mean, my first really memorable moment under floodlights at Derby was, was the Rotherham game when they won won promotion in 1986 on the Friday night before the FA Cup final. That was a, a real magical night, you know. Uh, Phil G scoring, Trevor Christie, a penalty, cool. drama. <laughs> it was, uh, those, if, if you were there, it was it was an incredible night. And I think that's why the, the Forest one, Derby Forest one, under the lights was special. Just coming to an end, but could you pick a best player you've seen in a Derby shirt? Uh, actually, covering Derby because don't forget if you remember, I, I watched Roy Mack and all. The, I watched Roy Mack and all these players, and yeah. you know, they were special. By the way, Roy McFarlane was a special player. Uh, Kevin Hector, Alan Hinton. You can go through all that team. I actually watched all of them. I then watched as as working at the Derby Telegraph. I watched the, the teams under Arthur Cox, special Bobby Davison, score goals for fun. You know, some great players, John Gregory. I, I don't want to mention too many because I'll leave too many out. Uh, and then and then you kind of move on to, to teams, Jim Smith's teams, obviously, some real special talents in there. And then George Burley's team, let's not forget that, 2004-05, reached the playoffs. He had a good team in Idiakas was in there. He could he could score a free kick from anywhere. You know, he had he had fans on, on the edge of the seats, fantastic. Uh, Tommy Smith, Martin Bishgard, all, all these guys, and then and then you move on again to to, to recently. So it's just so so many, uh, and I think what you've got to do, you've 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 got to enjoy players in the moment you're in. Yeah, you can all think back to to, to great teams and great players, but certainly that it's important to think about the moment you're in, and, and we've seen some. We've seen some really good players, and also what we must remember, we've seen so a lot of 
good players come through. I think that I think as fans, Derby fans, I'm sure uh, know from supporting my own team. When a, when a player, one of your own, comes through, you know, you talk about Will Hughes. I mean, I've known Will Hughes since he was whatever. He was, and he's still a young man now. Uh, Jeff Hendry, you know, these guys. You know, Mason. I remember Mason scoring goals at 15, 14 uh, for for the younger sides. Those types of things. It's always nice to see players come through like that. Uh, but so many, yeah, so many special players, I say. But I think it's important to to understand with football where the club is at the mo- at the moment you're in, the team they have at the moment you're in, and the players in there as well. And uh, I always say it's easy to be critical of players, uh, but until you've walked out as they do under that pressure, under that spotlight, it's it's not as easy as people think. And I'll take you to a story back when I first arrived. I, I was covering the reserves and I used to go on the team coach and they'd arrived so early that at reserve games, the rest of the ground wasn't really open. So rather than me waiting outside in the cold, uh, Roy McFarland and Arthur Cox and Gordon Guthrie, the late Gordon Guthrie, used to say to me, look, just, just help us push the kit in through the players' entrance and you're in. You know what I mean? So I used to push the kit in and then... I'd walk out on the pitch with Roy McFarland and that. And it was like, you know, I'm thinking I'm on the pitch at Old Trafford. I'm on the pitch at Goodison Park and at Anfield. And I remember walking out at Old Trafford. And this is before Old Trafford has developed to what it is now. So, but it was still a magnificent stadium. And I walked out into the centre circle with Roy McFarland. And uh, I just remember thinking, you need some bottle. And there was nobody in the stadium, by the way, and my heart was racing anyway. But there's not a soul in the stadium. But imagine walking out there in front of 60,000, 70,000. You need bottle to do that. You need ability to do that. Someone like Roy McFarlane did that every single week, you know, playing for England, playing for Derby, whatever. You need real bottle to do that. So we we have to understand sometimes what players go through, the ups and downs of form. Everyone can't be at their best every single game. And it's important to understand why they're playing well and why maybe they're not playing well and what's behind that, what's gone on during the week, how training's been, how they're feeling. They're human beings like us all. We all have good and bad days at work. Unfortunately, their days at work are played out in front of our eyes, 30,000, 40,000, et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes we have to understand that as well. It's funny you should say that because I was talking to another ex from um, Jerry Daly the other day. He oh, yeah. He's still yeah. he's local to me, and he, he, I was a bit quiet. And he just went, "What's up with you, Blake?" He went, "Oh, under under a little bit of pressure." He went, "Pressure?" He went, "Have you ever taken up in penalty in front of hundred thousand at Wembley? That's pressure." And then yeah. you actually think, "Yeah, wow, man, you're just standing over a ball at Wembley." And no, exactly. And he was a good player, by the way. Another, yeah. another good player. Another, he's another one that's like ramming. As soon as you mention his name, people go, "What a player!" Oh no, yeah, good good footballer, talent, real talent. But he's actually he, he, he's right, and and I think. In this job, you, you, you do see players in different environments. So you see them during the week sometimes in training or after training. You see them before and after matches and you talk to them and uh, you do get an idea of, of, of what they're going through, you know, when, when form's not good. I, you know, I, over the years, I've had, I've had players who phone me up before matches, you know, on Friday saying, we need a result tomorrow and all that. So they're feeling it as well. I've had them phone me up after matches 
elated when they've won or very down when they've lost. So they go through the same emotions. And uh, it, it's, not, it's, a, it's not as easy as people think. I always say, if you put yourself in a position where I'm at home here writing an article, and then every sentence I write, someone comes over on my shoulder and deletes it. And then I write it again and someone deletes it. That's what football's like. You're trying to play to your best and you've got 11 players against you trying to stop you being your best. And that's how, you know, and it's not easy. And anyone who's played football, whether it's on the parks or whether it's at Wembley, they know that that's what it's about. And, and, and you've got to win your battles and you've got to be on top form and you've got to feel right. And, and, you know, sometimes I say we just have to be a bit careful sometimes how much we criticise players because we also got to remember that they probably are aware of that criticism as well. Finally, uh, if there's any, anyone listening that wants to be a journalist, wants to get into the, that side of it, I mean, it's probably a lot easier than when you started. <laughs> but then you, it's, everyone's got a platform now. You can have daft lads making podcasts in their bedrooms or having a blog, but then it probably makes it a little bit harder because there's a lot more people doing that. Have you got any advice for any, any youngsters? Uh, yeah, all, all I say is uh, be enthusiastic about it. That's that's the key. You, you're right. Everyone's got a vehicle now where they can they can write now. But try and be try and be different. So if you know if 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 I wanted to read an article about the the ten best left backs in the championship, show me something different. You know, do something different. Uh, have a different opinion, but always make it well-reasoned not just a rant be well-reasoned you know and because I think I think fans reading things want to read different views and they want to read a view and say well yeah I don't agree with that or I do agree with that but I would say to to, to youngsters now that, you know if you want to write write you know write about it so if you're watching if you're you know journalists or, or young journalists say to me or you know any advice and I say well, if you're watching a match on tv which we all watch and you sat there at the end of the game, you know, think to yourself, how would I describe that game? What would, what would be my intro? If I had to write 100 words or 200 words, what, what would I say about it? You know, so have it always on your mind. It's, it's, uh, it, 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 it eats up time, this job. You know, if you want to do it, you, you've got to really want to do it because things like weekends and all things like that go out the window. You know, uh, so you've got to really do it. It's no use pretending you want to do it. You've got to really want to do it. And and that's what I'd say to them, you know, enjoy it. There are a lot of, i say, chances out there for, for, for people to show what they can do and what opinions, but don't get drawn into the rants and all that type of thing. It's, it's all right to have an opinion and be critical. Absolutely fine. But the best criticism is the reason criticism and the constructive criticism isn't the rant. The constructive criticism can show people that you've thought about it, you've argued it out, and you've presented it for people to agree with or not agree with. Not everyone's going to agree with what you write, uh, but also I say keep keep going at it. It's I say people need chances in life. That's what people need, and 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 not everyone gets them. Uh, but if you get the chance, be yourself. Show what you can do. Hard work. No substitute for hard work. Thank you very much for, for, for one, first of all, coming on. Uh, I know I've, I've hassled you and messaged you and, and eventually got you on, but I do really appreciate it. And, uh, and like you say, you've given me advice and helped me along the way. I, I remember 
I went to a reserve game, Derby played Luton in a 21s or 23s game. And I remember just saying to you, can I do a match report? And I ended up getting in, I've got it up here. And that, that pretty much got me into, into university, which got me into, so thank you for that once again. And, no and thank you for, for coming on, mate. It's been, it's been, I'll say it on, on record, it's been my favourite one I've done. I could sit for another three hours doing this, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least, at least we agreed on our favourite moment, that's why. Yeah, that's one. Thank you very much. No problem, mate.